Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. If you stop and think for a minute about the leaders that you respect the most, the ones that you've enjoyed working with and for, you'll probably find that they are really less about ego and more about integrity or openness, or sometimes I get the word authenticity. And they probably leave you with a sense of dignity. They probably saw you as a human being, not just an output machine. Well, as it turns out, there are three questions that we want our leaders to answer before we're really willing to follow them. And all of that ultimately takes humility. So what we want to talk about today is what is this and why does this thing called humility matter? And more importantly, how do you have more of it? So my guest today is Marilyn Just. Dr. Just is an expert in leadership development and her academic career expands a whole range of places from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill to the University of Washington, where she's the Boeing Endowed Professorship of Business Management. And then lastly, at Seattle University, where she was associated Dean at the Albert School of Business and Economics and the Executive Director for the Center for Leadership Formation. So you can tell she's been around this world a lot and talked to a lot of leaders and taught a lot of leaders. So she speaks and consults with organizations worldwide, including Boeing, AT&T, Providence Health System, the Fred, Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center, and NASA. More importantly, for my interest today, her new book is called The Extraordinary Power of Leaders Humility. Thriving organizations get great results. You can always learn more about Marilyn at MarilynGist.com. And Marilyn, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Wanda. It's delightful to be a part of it. I'm delighted to have you here. You know, an awful lot of people say humility is important and they have to take your ego out of it. But This is harder to do than just to say those words. So before I launch on that one, I always like to start with asking why. What got you started on asking this question about humility? You know, I've been fortunate for the last uh, 20, 25 years to be working with executive ed programs. And through that, I've also uh, had a chance to consult in a number of companies that uh, my students were in. So the students are typically mid to senior managers, and I'm learning from them, watching them, and then I'm hearing what they're saying about the people they work for. And in some of my own leadership roles, I've made mistakes like we all have. Uh, and ultimately, I had this aha, you know, thinking about some of my own mistakes, things that Uh, I tried that didn't seem to really motivate or work well with other people. And then hearing and observing my students and executives in in companies. And I realized there is this piece that we're not looking at that is so important because leading means relationship. So that's how I came to it. Okay, now you're speaking my language because I believe ultimately everything we get done in an organization happens in a conversation. Like there's nothing that happens that's not part of a conversation. And that comes down to the relationship. So I'm with you on that one. (laughs) 
But tell me about this humility, and you throw in the word dignity, which I hear humility, but I don't hear the word dignity. So what does this thing called humility look like, and how is it tied to dignity? Well, the way I have defined it from my own research and and as I discuss it in the book, I, I define humility as not a meekness, not weakness, but really a stance in relationship to others so that it's about am I feeling and displaying regard for another person's dignity? Or if you're in a leadership role or an organizational context, lots of people's dignity. And dignity really is that person's sense of self-worth, Wanda. Every human being has and needs a sense of self-worth. And we all get to define what it is about ourselves we think is worthy. So when someone else uh, has enough humility to work with us to support our dignity, we're going to be much more engaged. That whole relationship is healthier. Uh, and from an organizational and leadership standpoint, you just um, you have much better conversations with people. So that is so obvious to me, but I wouldn't have thought it that way until you put it together. So let me put it in language I often talk about. Sure. Um, influenced heavily by Leonard Powell. I have to give him a shout out for this okay. one. And this notion that in every conversation, you leave people feeling competent, significant, and liked. And he would say like liked that. to some degree. And um, we've talked about that a bunch on the show. And I always think if you create that sense of leaving people competent, liked, and significant, that that's a pretty good baseline of how you should be operating. But you take this one step further, saying that what we want of our leaders is that they leave us with a sense of self-worth, so that I have my dignity. Is well, that- I, th- I think those are, are similar thoughts, Being competent, feeling competent and liked, and what was the third thing you mentioned? Significant. Significant, Significant. Uh, would all feed into my sense of self-worth. So if you leave me feeling this way, you, in other words, have supported my dignity. If our conversation or actions that you take demeans me, if I feel uh, I'm not significant to you, if I feel... Um, I'm not liked by you. If I feel that you don't value what I'm doing, then my my dignity takes a hit. My sense of self-worth goes down. Okay. And you also said that everybody gets to define what it is for them that constitutes their self-worth. So for me, it has to do with some issues around respecting my experience, my competence. We could, I could live with a lot of other things, but that one is like my thing. That's a big one. Yeah. So you go ahead. Well, I do think that there are uh, differences in what we, we define as being um, important about us. So when I talk about dignity, and there's a, there's a chapter in the book on, you know, unpacking dignity, we really are thinking about two, two elements, two components. One is this basic uh, sense we have that life itself is valuable. So all of us as human beings uh, are alive for some period of time. And mostly we value that. We think that people should, you know, we have laws that say you shouldn't kill people. We, uh, we have lots of debates around what are the boundaries of, you know, uh, the right to decide to end your life, you know, if you're terminally ill and so right. forth. So we have 
a basic belief that human life itself is important. That's kind of a foundation. And in work situations, we're usually not worried too much about that. Where we get into trouble is thinking about the personal component. And I like to think of it as carrying a backpack. So you just mentioned you know, your competence, being respected for your achievements and your competence at your work is really important. That's in your backpack. Um, my backpack would include that, but it may include some different things. It might include, you know, comfort with um, perhaps uh, being a minority. It might include being a woman. It might include um, you know, a level of education or what my socioeconomic background was like growing up or what accent I have, what language I speak. So somehow we have all been uh, created and evolved differently, but we get to decide what are the aspects of ourselves that we think are worthy. So where this comes into play in interactions is that sometimes people have negative judgments about that. Mm -hmm. And in conversation, they express those. And I think of it as a dance between humility and dignity. So if I have humility, and my orientation is I'm going to display regard for other people's dignity, then I'm mindful of the cues I pick up from other people. I try not to say things that disparage other people. And if I do, and they say, well, you know, I'm not so sure I like that, I would say I'm sorry. I really didn't mean to offend. This is something new for me to learn. But not everybody is like that. And if you can imagine this dignity, this dance with humility and dignity, what they're doing is stepping all over other people's toes. And they may not even be aware of the ways in which they're doing that. But if they're a leader in an organization, people will tend to shrink back. They may still come into work. They need a job. They'll do what they have to do. But what you often lose is that uh, enthusiasm and engagement, that willing to go above and beyond the call of dignity of duty, in part because you have left them not feeling competent and liked and significant. Right. So as a leader, am I, do you advocate that I go out and ask people what it is that they carry in their backpack? I, I realize I need a little more sophisticated <laughs> way of describing that, but is that something I can ask for people? Can they actually tell me that? Sometimes they can. Sometimes they may not know until you stumble into it. Um, I approach it and recommend we approach it by natural curiosity. You know, when we were very young and we met a new child, we were curious. Who are you? What do you like? What do you like to do? Oh, and it was, there were no rights or wrongs. We hadn't formed a lot of judgment. We simply were open to learning and accepting of that. Over time, we get taught that certain things are good and bad, right and wrong. And I'm not saying that's not true, but I think we get accustomed to wanting to be right. And so we start to make judgments when they aren't necessary. We start to decide that, you know, certain people are better than other people, certain hobbies, certain activities, certain places to live. And in our conversations, sometimes we're stepping on other people's toes because they have come from uh, situations that we might not realize um, we're judging negatively. So I think having an open curiosity, especially if you're in a leadership role of, you know, tell me a bit about yourself. 
and then paying attention to the people we work with so that in time we get to know them better and we we begin to see what they value. I bet I couldn't hang out with you for a week as a coworker without sensing that you take great pride in your work. It's obvious. So you wouldn't have to say it to me. I would sense that. And I probably would say, well, if I want to support her dignity, um, I should not say things that would uh, disrespect that. So I like this idea that my challenge as a leader is to come to understand what other people view as their sense of self-worth. Right. That I want to support that sense of self-worth. I want to support that dignity. As a leader, that's my job. I have to uncover it and then I have to find ways of supporting it. Boy, that sounds like a great place to work. (laughs) (laughs) And it is. And the leaders who do that um, generally lead organizations that have a much more exciting, dynamic culture and that produce phenomenal results because people are all in. They feel cared for. They feel they matter uh, to that person. So, yes, and I think one of the things that leaders often do is get very focused on the task. They've got goals, they have responsibilities, they're under a lot of pressure, and it can almost seem as if relationship is, you know, who has time for that? I just need to get this task done. Um, But as you said at the top of the show, it happens in relationship. It happens in conversation. Leaders don't get things, you know, they don't just have great ideas. They go execute by themselves. By definition, they're in relationship, working together with people. And so one of the first priorities is to care for and nurture that relationship. It doesn't mean they can't um, have high standards and let people know when they're making mistakes, but it does mean that they need to do that in a way that doesn't violate the person's dignity. Right. Okay. So what I think is so powerful about this notion, I'm going to use different language and then I'm going to bring it back to dignity, the sense of caring for the person and the person as a whole being, not just their output. So I want to know who they are and what they care about them as a person. You can't do resilient culture without that. Correct. Can't build resilience as a human being without that sense of being cared for. You can't um, create innovation without that sense of being cared for. You're not going to get engagement without that sense of being cared for. And I'm going to give you the last one. You can't give feedback unless people feel that you care. Absolutely. Because if they feel you don't care, they will withhold anything that's critical. Well, and they're going to see you as being nasty to them. As opposed to telling them the thing they really need to hear. They're going to see it as brutal and unkind because you've not shown that you care. Right. I watch one single behavior that I would love to change overnight. It's getting leaders to understand how to show I care. Right. Now, if I bring it back to what you've said and to your language, I'm going to put it in the sense of not just show I care, but how do I understand what contributes to your sense of dignity? Right. And how do I foster a greater sense of dignity in you? Right. That right. sounds like a great place to set, start. <laughs> it is. So um, there are three questions that we all have, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. when we look at a leader. Right. And it's who are you? Where are we going? And do you see me? Uh, and we don't necessarily vocalize that, but as soon as we know we've got to work with a new leader, that's what we want to know. And we watch and we listen for mm-hmm. cues. So there's kind of a parallel 
response coming from leaders. So in terms of who are you, it's about who am who I am, what kind of character and personality do I have. In terms of where are we going, it's what sort of direction do I set for us as a team and you as an individual. And then in terms of do you see me, it's really about how I treat you. Um, how I treat you in our interactions, how I treat you with policies I might set. So those those three questions and three sets of answers are really crucial to making people feel that their dignity is supported. And of course, in the book, I go more deeply into looking at uh, specific behaviors that um, that are packed in each of those three areas. Okay. All right. So if people that are trying to follow me want me to answer these questions, who am I? Meaning, who am I really? What am I really about? What am I really like? Where am I going? Where are we going as a group? And do you see, do I see you as an individual? How do I know if I've given adequate answer? Because I would bet everybody I coach thinks they've answered those three questions. And I will bet 50% of their teams think they haven't answered them. So (laughs) how do we do that? They have probably answered them if people have worked with them for any period of time, like even a few weeks, but they may not have answers that they wish they had. So I think it's really, um, it's a matter of uh, doing some diagnosis, getting some feedback, uh, but around, you know, six what I call six keys to leader humility. Okay. So when I think about, you know, who I am, uh, the, thing that, the thing that matters to people are kind of two important areas typically. One is, is my ego balanced? Am I confident but without being arrogant? And that's what we're aiming for. So we're not looking okay. for leaders to be too meek. That would be an imbalance, nor do we want them to be arrogant where they're very self-centered or talking about themselves all the time. So we're looking for someone who has the confidence in themselves. They're aware of their accomplishments and their capabilities, but they're also aware that they don't know everything. Mm-hmm. And they're aware that they've made mistakes or when they make mistakes, they're able to show gratitude for what other people are doing. Uh, they're willing to apologize when they make a mistake. They're willing to own uh, the output of their organization, even when it doesn't necessarily reflect well on them. You know, we've seen some leaders who someone makes a mistake and they want to blast them publicly or they want to blame them as opposed to saying, well, you know, we didn't quite meet our goals this time publicly, but we're going to redouble our effort and we're going to be strong during the next quarter or whatever it is. So part of the leader's balanced ego is that ability to feel good about self, good about the team, and really, you know, kind of make sure you're level setting and not going overboard one way or another. Um, Another piece of who I am is integrity. You know, that's a pretty simple word. We know what it means, but unfortunately, it's not something that all leaders have. And when people sense that there's a lack of integrity, that the talk isn't being walked, or you can't trust this person and what they say, um, people pull back. You're, you're at that point really losing a lot of folks. And so back to your comment about people you coach thinking uh, that the people observing them ha- don't have answers. Oh, they know the answer. It may not be the answer you want them to have. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, okay. Uh, sometimes I think we give misinformation too, accidentally. Accidentally. Yes. Yes. All right. So there are six keys. The first big question is, who am I? Because people want to know, who are you as a leader? And I need to look at my ego balance, the confidence balance with the arrogance. And then I also need to look at my integrity. Yes. That one's a big word, you know, integrity. Um, Yes, of course, I need to do what I say I'm going to do. And I need to tell the truth. And I need to be able to say what I mean. And people need to believe that. But I think there's a lot more to it because there's so many nuances on the stories, you know, what I can say, what I can't share at this moment in time. Um, How do I answer your question without violating confidences that I know I can't tell you? I mean, you get, get into these dilemmas all the time and a customer will complain, for example, and you all say, okay, so we're working on it. But in my mind, I know we're not working on it very hard. And I can't say that to the customer. Right. Right. you know, there's all these challenges around there integrity. Are. And there's lots of judgment that has to come into play. Uh, I use the word robust uh, integrity in the book. When I describe that key, I call it robust integrity, meaning it's strong. We, we know when something's robust. I don't say perfect integrity because we're human. Yeah. And leaders do exist in this Um, challenging environment where they have to make lots of decisions. There's shades of gray. Things are not always black and white. And I think most uh, people in the organization are comfortable with that. They know that the leader can't say everything, that some things involve trade-offs. But I think what we're looking at is over a period of time, Generally speaking, is this a person that people feel has high integrity, that they're honest, that they're truthful, or do they feel, you know, at the other extreme, this is someone who lies a lot or who's very loose with the truth. Um, if you ask a question, get an answer, you you know, it's maybe 25% that you can count on it. Mm-hmm. Um So when a leader doesn't have strong integrity or robust integrity, it really, really damages uh, the environment. Who am I? Okay. All right. So that's the first big question and the two components of it. Who am I? The second big question was, where are we going? Or what's my direction with the team? What direction? What are the keys here? So those are a little more straightforward, uh, compelling vision and ethical strategies, Uh, Ethical strategies is kind of an extension of my integrity, but it's really putting it into play with how do I do the work and map out direction for the work, uh, especially when we're under pressure. Am I cutting corners too much or am I making some of the tough calls that we stand for what we value? When it comes to compelling vision, it's a little trickier because I'm uh, in, in the next question of how you treat me, looking at including all stakeholders. And so this is um, one of the things where the leader needs to have a vision that is going to help advance all of the stakeholders. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I need to write that. So advance all the stakeholders. Um, let me ask you this question while we're on this one. So ethical strategy, all right. Most leaders, especially most middle senior manager leaders, are focused on getting more and getting more and getting more and getting more. And a lot of the getting more is putting pressure on people down in the organization to deliver. And I am seeing at this moment in time, massive burnout, 
just people can't, they can't cope anymore. Just right. can't cope. The personal stress, the pandemic stress, the job stress, and now most people are doing three jobs anyway. Right. So how does that fit in your ethical strategy? I think it does. I still see some leaders who are um, really looking at other people's dignity, even in this pandemic situation, this high stress situation, and making adjustments for what employee needs are. Some people are juggling, you know, schooling kids at home or overseeing them while they're on a Zoom in another room. Mm-hmm. Some people um are, you know, dealing with health issues in the family that could be COVID related and so forth. So I think a leader who honors others' dignity is going to, uh, again, care about who are you and what's going on for you and how do I accommodate that. There are some other leaders in part because many companies are under financial stress uh, who are losing sight of that human issue and are just driven like crazy to try to survive. And I think the ones who are in that situation who are doing it well are being as transparent as they can with employees. They're saying, and the employees know it. I mean, we're talking, say, brick and mortar retail, travel and hospitality industries that have been hit particularly hard uh, and are faced with survival. The employees know it. And the more the leader can be transparent about the pressures we're under and listen, I hate to have to ask, but can you give a little bit more in this area or that area? Because we're all in this together. We're all trying to make it work. Right. That transparency strikes me as a key, both to the integrity issue, part of it at least, as well as the ethical strategy. Right. Okay. Um, Before we take a break, we have to do the last one. So the first question is, who am I? The ego balance is part of it and integrity is part of it. Then what direction am I setting? You said compelling vision and an ethical strategy and one that has to include all stakeholders. And then the last question that employees want to know from their leader is, do you see me? So how does this work? So often this is the one that's most important to people, not always, but it's a common one that's most important. And there are two components or two keys to that really are what I call generous inclusion uh, and then developmental focus. And inclusion is a term we hear commonly today around efforts at diversity, equity, and inclusion, bringing in people who have been marginalized, women, minorities, and so forth. And it certainly has relevance there, but that is not uh, the full context in which I mean it, or even most of it. What I'm Uh, getting at is that leaders have many stakeholder groups. Those could be employees, certainly customers or clients. It could be vendors. It could be regulators. It could be uh, the management team above you. It could be your board. Uh, It could be the community that you have some impact on where your, you know, your storefront or your operation is. Mm -hmm. So many, many different groups. Whenever we're making decisions that are going to impact Um, one of those groups, I would say that person is a stakeholder. They have a stake in the outcome or the decision that you're going to make. And what's really important for leaders is to include those people in the important conversations uh, before, during, and after those decisions are being made and to really listen, really listen. It doesn't mean you're going to be able to address everything they want you to address, particularly when we've got 
uh, so many differing opinions and differing positions pulling at us. Uh, but the effort to draw boundary broadly enough that all of your stakeholders are viewed as being on the inside is what generous inclusion is about. So that you're not saying, well, we're going to pursue our own goals and we're going to ignore for the time being what the union wants. or we're going to ignore what our customers want. Few people would survive for long doing that. But you draw a boundary that's broadly enough that all of those are considered uh, part of the people we're serving in our leadership role. So that's generous inclusion. Developmental focus is really about caring about the long-term interests of your employees, especially, but any other key partners that you have so that you're not viewing them as a transaction. I'm paying you, you come to work, shut up and do what I want you to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I really care about, well, where do you see yourself in three or four years? What would you like to be doing? And maybe I could help set you up for success. Maybe I could give you the assignment or give you the referral or recommendation, whatever it takes. I was talking with somebody earlier today who said, I don't understand how you run a company where you think you have to monitor everything that everybody does. The only companies I've ever run are ones when you set out to help your people grow. If your people are growing, then the business is going to grow and nothing else is going to work. Now, there's some boundaries on that one, too. We can't have you growing in in (laughs) unrelated ways, but there's a lot to be said to that focus on how do I help you grow. And that actually comes right back to how you're showing dignity, I would imagine. Absolutely. Because as a person, I have future plans. And if my leader doesn't care about those and signals that they don't care, uh, I'm probably not going to give my all and I may not stay around. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm going to look to be going somewhere else. And when I go right. somewhere else, by the way, I'm not going to have any questions about telling them what's working and not working at this other company. So that's right. There goes competitive <laughs> intelligence right out the door. Okay. I like these questions, Marilyn. I think they're Thank fascinating you. that people want you as a leader, anyone as a leader to answer three questions. Who are you as a leader? Like, what are you about? What is your integrity, I think is the thing we want to say, and is your ego balance? Can you admit your mistakes and can you show gratitude? Second question we want to know is what direction, where are we going? And for that one, we need something of a compelling vision that's broadly inclusive and we need to um, have an ethical strategy. So it's consistent with the integrity. And then the third question is, do you see me? as your person working for you. And there we need to do generous inclusion with all stakeholder groups. Yes, marginalized groups, but all the voices who have, who will be impacted by the decisions that we're making. And the last one is the development focus. Sounds like a good list to me. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) All right. Perfect time for a break. So let's take a break. My guest today is Marilyn Just. Marilyn's, as you can tell, an expert in leadership development. The book we have been talking about is The Extraordinary Power Power of Leader Humility. Thriving organizations get great results. You can learn more at MarilynGist.com. And I'm going to add that the big insight for me here is not the emphasis on humility, but the emphasis on leaving people with a sense of dignity. That that's the show. That's the acid test of whether I've done this humility right. And that's the insight. When we come back, I want to do some practical examples and I want to ask a couple of skeptical questions. So we'll be right back.
If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leading outside of your comfort zone is a delicate balance. You need new skills and new ways of working. To reach the program today, send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. That's wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Dr. Marilyn Gist. The book we've been talking about is The Extraordinary Power of Leader Humility, Thriving Organizations, Great Results. Um, I think, so in Marilyn's work, and she's done this work by looking at leaders, at examples of leaders, and pulling out what's working for them and how it is that they're getting great results. And she talks about the humility to show dignity. And I think even in the initial conversations with her, I hadn't quite recognized how powerful the word dignity was in this entire equation. So the notion with dignity is that I am doing things as a leader that are going to leave people having a sense of self-worth, leaving their dignity intact. And what that sense of self-worth is going to be about is really going to be different from person to person because it'll be part of their background, part of their heritage, part of their special personality, DNA, what matters to them. But I want to leave everybody with that sense of dignity. And boy, is that a very powerful statement. There are three questions that leader that we want our leaders to answer for us before we follow willingly. <laughs> One is, who are you? Two is, where are we going? And number three is, do you see me? And we've done two subsets under each of those in the last segment. All right, so Marilyn, I want to get a little on the skeptical side, if I can. Sure. Um, And that's not because I disagree with you, but because I, you know, it's kind of fun to poke on occasion there just to (laughs) see sort of how this goes. All right. So I want to come back to this notion you said at the very beginning about judgment. Um. So here I am as a leader, and my job is to make sure that I have, I have to, I'm, I'm paid to have judgment. You're working for me, and I have to make a judgment on whether I keep you, I gave you a promotion, I gave you a bigger opportunity, or I don't. And most leaders make judgments quickly and all the time. Okay, okay. now... How do we reconcile those two that need to make a judgment and at the same time not being judgmental? Because they're hard, it's hard to separate those two. It is. I think uh, the correct judgment for leaders to be making is about context and 
performance or behavior and not about person and personality. Right. So if you're working with me and you have a job description, a job to do, there's certain things that have to be done. And as a leader, I am well within my uh, responsibility to tell you what those are and to tell you what the standards are. Hopefully, I've selected you in the hiring process uh, or someone else did, and hopefully you're living up to it where you have the skills to do that. If you don't or if you're not delivering on it, it's certainly my right and role to let you know how. And I think the more behavioral that can be, the more specific, you know, the language we're all taught of, you know, I I need you to do this. And when you do it this way, it doesn't deliver the outcome that we need. I need you to shift and do it another way, whatever that is. Uh, When you make those standards clear and uh, transparent to people, you give them the help they need, they usually will deliver. If they don't, you go back and you say, you know, this still isn't working. I'm going to give you another chance and you go through whatever process you have to do to fix it. That's judgment. Uh, Judgment calls happen around employee performance. They happen around uh, decisions we're making on customers all the time. Where, where it starts to impact people's dignity in a way that I'm, I'm asking us to consider here, it's when it becomes personally negative, when I can easily find fault in uh, not so much what you're asking me to do that's job-related, but in how you're treating me as a person. When the way you talk to me is condescending, when uh, I do things for you that go above and beyond and I don't get credit for it, or I see you take credit for it, and it really was my work, my hard work that went above and beyond, but there you are, I hear you in the hallway talking to your peers, taking full credit for it. Things like that are very damaging to a person's dignity. So you were saying uh, when we came back that there is a unique set of things we each have that go into our sense of self-worth, and those might be demographic or more personal, but there also are some common things uh, that most of us as humans um, crank into this notion of, you know, is my dignity being respected or not? So the examples I just gave really are pretty common across people. Um, and, and those are things that all leaders can improve. Okay. So it's not taking credit for my work. Um, and what are the other ones? I remember that one. So I said, uh, not taking credit for work, not being condescending to people. So, you know, going back to some things we discussed before, the break when I talk about ego balance uh, as part of who are you, a leader without ego balance may, you know, lean into arrogance. And when they become arrogant, they tend to be condescending to people. Uh, they tend to be very self-focused. They may take credit for work they didn't really do that. You know, I mean, I think some of the some of the finer leaders I, I observed and even interviewed for the book are the ones who rarely will take credit for the work. You give them praise and they always hand it over to the team. You know, right. we have such a great team here. Everybody pitched in to get this done. Or, you know, the team is the one that really deserves the credit. So it's stepping out of my own ego and really supporting the dignity of the people who are doing the work because I don't do it by myself. Okay. Okay. All right. Let me ask this next question. 
is it possible to have too much humility? The way I define it, I don't think so, because I'm saying a tendency to feel and display regard for others' dignity. I think you could um, confuse that with just being nice or empathic, and you certainly can overdo that. You could lose sight of the work that needs to be done or the discipline that needs to happen or the standards that need to be set. But the way I'm defining it doesn't ask you to give up on any of those harder criteria. You can carry all of those forward and still respect other people's dignity. It's about the conversation. One of the the things that I finally got right, and it's been, gosh, almost two decades ago, uh, was to have to terminate someone for non-performance and have that person go out the door giving me a hug last time we saw each other, but to have managed that process in a way that made it so clear that his behavior was problematic, but it wasn't personal. And the fact that it was handled that way left his dignity intact to the point that when he left my office, he turned around, gave me a hug on the way out the door. And, and you know, the hug was just symbolic of dignity is intact. You know, you've taken the harshest action a leader could take, which is to terminate me. But I felt valued as a human being. I know that this was about work. Right. I think about um, a couple of cases that I'm dealing with at the moment where a leader is not showing adequate dignity to people that are reporting to him. Okay. It's a simple way, using your language, it's a simple way of describing it. There's always two sides on this equation. Sure. And then there's a question of what do we do with the leader? Like, do we replace the leader? Do we deal with them? And it gets personal really quickly because it starts to be personality characteristics, personal style, personal preferences. I mean, a lot of those factors sort of come in. So it's hard now to distinguish between behaviors and personality. So what's your advice in that case? Um, My advice to quote Alan Mulally, whom I've worked with, is I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care to label it personality or behavior. What I care about is what does it take to have a healthy relationship? And a leader, in my view, by definition, must be able to have healthy relationships because leadership is about relationship. You're not working solo. You're not an individual contributor. So do you have an ability to work in a healthy way with people? And and central to that, I think the most essential thing is, can you support their dignity? Can you Mm -hmm. interact in ways uh, that leave their dignity intact? Do you have enough humility to do that? And if you don't, then let's coach around the behaviors that it takes. And this is where, you know, in the book, I really talk about those six keys, those six main things. Let's help get you strong, help you be able to see what's needed and talk with you about how you're doing, get some feedback from the team and have you move forward. And if you're not able to do that, then I think we've got a performance issue and the organization really needs to decide, you know, sometimes you see cases where everybody knows a given leader is problematic, can't get along with people, Mm -hmm. creates a lot of damage, Um, but maybe they drive sales or revenue. Mm -hmm. And so somebody doesn't want to deal with it. Well, what, 
What the people who don't want to deal with it are not realizing is the opportunity cost, what they're losing by having other people be demoralized or hurt in the process uh, and then tending to shrink back and not being as fully engaged and giving everything they can give. So how do you measure that, um, you know, that opportunity cost? And I think one of the best ways is really, you know, going back, I'm sure you're familiar with Jim Collins' work from Good to Great a number of years ago of really part pairing organizations and looking at what made the difference in those that stayed at the good level and those that became great. And it was leadership. And the two qualities, the, the leaders who led the great organizations where they had drive, they had this fierce resolve for improvement, but they also had personal humility. And so we, we have some strong evidence uh, through research and academic studies since then that show that this personal humility, uh, which, again, I'm defining as a tendency to feel and display regard for others' dignity, allows you to outperform. And so that's the opportunity cost that some organizations aren't looking at. They're just saying, well, you know, so-and-so is good on this other dimension, so we'll just turn our eyes away to the fact that um, people are people are suffering. Okay. So it's a very unique definition of humility. I like it. To both feel and display regard for other people's dignity. Feel yeah. and display regard for other people's dignity. It's an interesting one. Very <laughs> interesting one. Um, so how... Okay, so you've given me my six behavioral keys. You've said that I have to say who I am, which is to have the ego balance and to have some integrity. I have to define the direction for the team, which has to do with a compelling vision and an ethical strategy. And then I have to make sure that I have generous inclusion for people and another one that is embracing all Develop. the stakeholders. Development mindset, right? Developing. I, I got five. I thought I was That's great. Good. Developmental focus is the last Developmental one. focus. So how? Can you give us some tips on what I can do to improve and pick any one of those areas that you find is the biggest problem? So I think uh, a couple of tips. I, I think ego balance is a tricky one because a lot of leaders – um, you know, you need to be strong, you need to be confident, decisive. And so some of them do tip into arrogance, uh, mm-hmm. especially as they get higher and higher. Um, and often really don't, uh, don't realize how important it is to dial back once they mm-hmm. have power. You know, I, I have this uh, informal sense in my mind when I'm doing coaching too, of saying, you know, you have a, you don't see it on your forehead, Wanda, but you have a big right there yeah. <laughs> it's power <laughs> and when I look at you that's what I see is not just Wanda your name your personality but the power that you have over me and so uh, leaders when they are in a you know a position above someone really need to kind of dial back the ego or other people get squashed and they're not going to say much about it they just sort of feel lessened um, I have found that when leaders have reasonable self-awareness, it's pretty straightforward to coach them in this. A lot of it is simply uh, having this kind of conversation, helping them understand that other people have and need a sense of dignity and that you need to do a dance between 
being humble enough to support their dignity and still being strong about the performance expectations. So I think that's one that's pretty readily coached if a person has self-awareness and, um, you know, growth mindset. Um, And I have worked with an individual. I'll give you one quick example of a vice president who was, um, I was brought in because he was, about to be asked to leave because he uh, was very arrogant and people really were at their wits end. And his arrogance uh, was a bit condescending, but most of it was around just boastfulness, just constantly Mm -hmm. bragging about himself, what he'd done, what his family had done, how great he was. And it it really got to such an extreme that people were avoiding him. They were doing walks around him to try to get information elsewhere because they didn't want to deal with him. It just became frustrating. So when I started to coach him, I really began with helping him try to understand this humility, dignity dance. Uh, I you know, didn't have the same language on it then. And I'll remember a point of defensiveness where he said, but I am proud. I'm proud of what I've done. I'm proud of, you know, what my family has done. I don't see where, you know, why shouldn't I talk about that? And uh, simply talking with him about, are you interested in what other people have done? Mm -hmm. And he paused and it was clear to him in that moment, there was this huge aha. He had not thought about that. And I said, the challenge is that you're the one who's the vice president. People can't tell you to shut up. (laughs) So you're just continuing to talk about yourself and you're not showing any interest in in them. Why don't you dial it back and see what happens over the next couple of weeks of just uh, not coming in and talking about yourself and asking other people. And he did that. And the next time we met, he said, you know, I just, I have to thank you. I never, I never realized what I was doing. I didn't realize how other people uh, reacted to that. I thought they would see me as bigger and better if I talked that way. Uh, And instead, they just found me overbearing. So in that case, it was really fairly straightforward to help him understand and then begin to uh, direct him on some new behaviors he could try. Right. Uh, You asked for a couple of examples. The second one I would give is around generous inclusion um, where I, I have worked with someone who was experiencing a lot of backlash from one particular stakeholder group. Uh, and this was uh, a union situation, actually. And they had gone through a contract negotiations about 18 months earlier. And it had just been problematic. The relationship really went south. And they were facing another round of negotiations. And he had been in conversation with his senior management and they had certain outcomes that they were looking for. And the union's position was miles apart. And, you know, union negotiations are uh, often very, very challenging. But when I talked with him, I said, have you included them? Have you asked them Mm -hmm. to really sit down with you and talk about what is behind the things that they're asking for. And he said, well, no, because we're not going to, you know, we're not going to, I said, but have you asked them? Have you included them? Had not really done that. And so I said, uh, it might be worth having that kind of conversation. You can do it in a way that doesn't say, 
I'm going to yield or I'm going to give in. What you need to do is to say, I want to learn. I want to understand. Can we simply start with discussion? And so he went forward with that. And of course, there was a certain amount of posturing on uh, one side of it. But the union reps raised some issues he had not considered before. And he was able to then talk with his senior management about that and find just enough yield, just enough compromise that when they sat down to the negotiation, it went through much more easily and uh, the relationship improved after that. So that generous inclusion, rather than saying what it is this group is about and pitting them as against the other, I'm actually bringing them a little bit in the tent and listening to them. What are their concerns? What are the issues? Not in a way that I compromise, Right, but my responsibility, but in a way that I'm listening, I'm hearing, and then deciding what to do with accordingly. Right. All right, Marilyn, there's so much to talk about in here. We're almost out of time. I'm going to ask you, though, about a time you had to get out of your comfort zone and what was the secret to your success? And you've got exactly a minute and a half to answer it. (laughs) I would say um, getting out of my comfort zone has been one where I have to continue growing. And whenever I felt I am stagnating, I've brought the most I can to a situation, I have to push myself to make a decision uh, to opt for growth and move on. And that's tough. That has at times meant leaving some situations that are very successful or prestigious and walking into the forest again. But it's uh, it's been really important for me to do that. Okay, great. All right. Fabulous. Marilyn, thank you very much. My guest today, Marilyn, just the book we've been talking about is The Extraordinary Power of Leader Humility, Thriving Organizations, Great Work, Great Results. Whew. You can learn more about Marilyn at her website, MarilynJust.com. I still think the thing that stands out to me is the recognition of the power of leaving people with a sense of dignity, both understanding what that is in common for everybody, the sense I'm not taking credit for their work, that I'm not demeaning them in any particular way, and that I'm showing gratitude for what they've done. I'm sharing credit for what has happened, but also recognizing what it means for each individual who works for me in terms of showing them the dignity that they would like for their own self-worth. And I absolutely, totally love your three questions that a leader should answer. (laughs) Who am I? Where are we going? And um, uh, have I seen you? Couldn't be better. Thank you, Marilyn. (laughs) Thank you, Wanda. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Join us next week for another episode in Getting Out of Your Comfort Zone. And if you'd like to know more about how to show humility and dignity, join us for our brand new subscription service at outofthecomfortzone.com. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week. Thank you.